basically an adventure race might start with a stage that was like unbound, like 200 miles of, of racing on gravel roads and some single track. And then you get to the end of that and you drop your bikes, you pack them in these little boxes that you have to carry. And then you'd head off across the mountains on foot. And a day later you cross the mountains on foot and you get to this whitewater river, you'd get in the boats and you'd paddle for 12 hours and then you get back on your bikes and go for another day and a half. And so some of the races are like up to 10 days long. KOM Cycling and Michigan Mid-Pack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Mid-Pack. I am your host, Trevor. And this is Sheldon from the West Coast. And on this episode, we talk with adventure racers Jason and Chelsea Magnus from Team Bend Racing. Sheldon, you ruined it already. I was going to ask where the heck you are, but you... uh, (laughs) You beat me to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to. I had to like make everything seem like it was at home. You know, ruin Trevor's role. <laughs> but yeah, Sheldon from the West Coast. Where Where the heck are you? I am in Port Orchard, Washington. Uh, I'll be here for the next uh, probably about a month, and then uh, moving permanently to Olympia, Washington. So I'm I'm bummed because we really didn't get a chance to have a proper sit down and talk about your move. Um, I mean, you no, and I are all, all of our sit downs were in a parking lot drinking beers. Yes. I mean, we, we had, <laughs> we had multiple sit downs, but uh, <laughs> we just without a microphone, but um, tell people a little bit about, uh, about your relocation then. Yeah. So uh, I moved out for, uh, for a woman. You had to see about a girl, huh? Yeah, yeah, you know, I gotta keep my bad decisions rolling, and uh, you know, what's a better bad decision than moving out, you know, across the country for a girl? I want to interrupt because I've I've known you for a long time, and I've and I've seen many bad decisions, but I think this might be one of your better, maybe your best decision that you've ever my, made. My my best decision. I finally <laughs> made a good decision. Yeah, you finally made a good one. <laughs> Are we gonna change my tagline? Like, like I, I'm no longer making bad decisions, and make Sheldon's making. All right, so my mom hates hearing whenever we, because my mom is a listener, and she has repeatedly complained to me about the fact that we advertise my bad decisions. <laughs> and she's like, "You need to stop making so many bad decisions." And you know, she's a typical mom. But uh, so uh, for uh, for Cheryl Little out there, uh, Sheldon made a good decision. Yes, absolutely. And I've been kind of watching because you. You guys literally just pulled in a couple days ago. Yeah, um, you yeah, kind of yeah. took your time to get out there, and uh, yeah, we we did it over five days. And uh, I mean, we had you know two animals with us. We had my girlfriend's dog, and we had Susie the ferret. So we couldn't do too much touristy stuff, but we stopped at like uh, you know we kind of went by the Badlands in North Dakota, and we stopped at a few scenic overlooks in Montana and Idaho. Um, so we took our time, but, um, but yeah, it took us five days to get out here. And, uh, now I'm just kind of, I mean, 
our listeners can't see this, but over over my shoulder on Zoom, uh, Trevor can see a box with you know some pink Crocs sticking out of them. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in the unpacking phase. Yeah, for sure. Uh, t- talk a little bit about how many bikes you fit into. So you you took two vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> like two Honda Fits, two of the smallest cars on the market. <laughs> and how many bikes were in those two Honda Fits? So my car had five, or uh, yeah, five bikes, uh, <laughs> five, five complete bikes. On uh, so I have the roof rack on the top that I put two uh, two bikes, and then I have a hitch rack or a, a trunk rack that fit three. And then I had two bikes in my girlfriend's car. And then I left two bikes behind in Michigan, but I'm going to probably have those shipped out, you know, over time. Uh, I left, uh, oh, what, yeah, what, night- what, what did you leave? I want to know. I think I still have the code to your, to your, uh, garage. Are you going to go steal a 26er? <laughs> uh, maybe you, you never know. <laughs> the, so the Bianchi is, is still in Michigan, the, okay. uh, the silver one, uh, the silver 26er. And then I left my frame for the 1979 Raleigh record LTD or LTD, um, which I was planning on turning into a fixed gear uh, gravel bike. But uh, I currently have too many projects on my plate right now. So that one just kind of went into storage and uh, I'll, I'll get to it in the future. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so tell me a little bit. So you're not, you're in Port Orchard right now. You're going to go to Olympia. Um, I'm sure both of these places in Washington, they're relatively flat, much like Michigan. So you're going to have kind of a similar riding experience. Is that correct? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm going to keep my single speeds geared exactly how they are. (laughs) Uh, no, it is, uh, the roads are steep here. Uh, they don't really deal with winter the way that we have in Michigan. So, uh, they build things at a slightly steeper grade and, uh, there are a lot of mountains. Um, Port Orchard's not too bad. Um, we're definitely, you know, we're right on the edge of the Olympic Peninsula. Um, once I move down to Olympia, I'm going to be right at the foot of the Olympic uh, Peninsula and closer to, you know, Mount Rainier and such. So it, between the mountains, things are pretty flat, but uh it's especially when you're going out looking for gravel the gravel out here is mostly fire roads and the fire roads are just straight up switchbacks uh right up right up the side of mountains i feel like we're gonna have many a great conversation about not only like where you're riding but you know what type of equipment you wish you would have (laughs) things are are gonna change a little bit I, i feel like it um but uh, yeah, I'm I'm super excited here. I mean, you know, we're all Michigan mid pack, but uh, I I want to hear about the West Coast and about Washington, and and I'm excited for the adventures that you are uh, most well, definitely going to have. Once we're a little more settled in you know in our, our permanent home, uh, you and Rachel definitely have to come out because it is, you know, I've only been out here what a uh, today's Wednesday, so I've been out here about a week now, and. Uh, you know, uh, not currently at work. Uh, I've got a little bit before, uh, I have to start doing any kind of work. Um, so we've been going out. I haven't, I haven't been out on the bikes yet. The bikes are all in the garage. Um, but, uh, but Kate and I have gone out <clears throat> and, uh, we've been hiking almost every day and just exploring the area around here. It is, 
magical. It is so beautiful out here. Uh, what has been? Um, you you texted me a few days ago when you first pulled in. You said you're at the grocery store, look in the beer aisle, and you were a bit oh. overwhelmed because you didn't recognize any name. Have you? So I, have you I found any Xanax just to get through uh, <laughs> beer aisle? <laughs> have you found um, found any keepers yet? Uh, yeah, I found a few pretty solid ones. Uh, currently, uh, I am drinking one by Elysian uh, Brewing Company called the Men's Room, and it's in a it's a red ale, um, pretty solid. It's it kind of one of the first ones that I grabbed out here. I've, I've tried a few different beers. We went to a, there's a movie theater in Tacoma, kind of a it's a real low key. Uh, it's one of those theaters that plays classic movies or you know things that are out of theaters in in different in uh, in in the bigger cinemas. Um, and of course, they served beer. And I had a red ale there, and I am kicking myself for not writing down or taking a picture of the can. It was kind of hoppy, kind of like a big red cock from brewery of avant oh it's my one of my favorites i love it yeah it's so we have to also we have to bleep that out we can't say that <laughs> that whole name that makes me very uncomfortable so let's just move right on <laughs> don't, don't you love ordering that like you go and it's like i'll have a big red <clears throat> big red cock <laughs> <laughs> i don't order it <laughs> i just say i want this beer but i won't order it <laughs> um but no yeah so back to the beer aisle uh you know so anyone, I mean, anyone, 90% of our listeners are from the Midwest. So everybody knows Meyer. Well, out here, well, Meyer in, in the Midwest was started by Frederick Meyer, um, you know, in Greenville, Michigan, yada, yada. We all know the story. Well, out here, they have a grocery store that's almost exactly the same. And it's just called Fred Meyer, but it's spelled M-E-Y-E-R. Weird. And it has zero connection to Meyer in in the midwest weird. and it's just it's it's super weird so we go there going to the i'm like oh, i gotta grab a you know grab a six-pack or whatever grab some beer and i walked into the aisle and i'm looking for just something familiar just a little you know founders shorts you know any of those staples from back home bells there's nothing and you and I have had this discussion in the past. I think we've even talked about it on the on the podcast. I'm not a big West Coast IPA fan. Like I like my Americans. Um, yep. I like my juicies, and uh, everything said West Coast IPA. And I'm that's an, I'm not a Cascade hops are not my jam. Hey, listen, I kind of think that you moved to the wrong place. If that's <laughs> the, if that's what. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Trevor, I need you to get a Trans Am loaded up with beer and do a little run across the country for me. <laughs> I'm on it. So, you know, I, I am curious, though, as you as you uh, get to know the area a little bit more, um, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot are like kind of these grassroots gravel events. Um, and uh, I, I'm just, you know, we all know about the, the big races that happen on the on, on the West Coast. And, you know, you got your... Uh, your Belgian waffle ride or your, your Rebecca's private Idaho, you know, these kind of things. Um, yeah. I'm really excited to hear about some of these smaller races that I've never heard of that you've never heard of that we can, um, explore a little bit more through your, through your eyes, you know, or yeah, through I, your I'm bad really decisions. <laughs> through my, Yeah. You know, what's going to be my first bad decision out here? <laughs> Sorry, mom. Um, 
No, I, uh, so I've already started kind of put my ear to the ground. I haven't found any bike shops nearby to, you know, kind of go in and, uh, you know, quote unquote, kick the tires, see what, see what's going on around here. But I've, I've hopped on, you know, social media and kind of looked around. Um, there's, uh, so just south of here in Oregon, there's, uh, there's the, I think they call it the three sisters. It's a, it's a three race series, uh, gravel series that they do up in the cascade mountains. So that one's kind of piqued my interest. Um, there's once I get to Olympia, I've already found some, uh, cycling groups, uh, that, you know, ride from a couple of the local shops down there. So I'm going to, you know, I'm probably going to have to dust off the road bike because, you know, I feel like that's kind of the go-to to, you know, learning a new area is, you know, go on the local road ride. Um, at, you know, that's how you and I first met. We right. first met at, you know, TNR. And I, yeah. I have a feeling that's going to kind of be uh, the starting point to seeing what the scene is like out here. Um, I did see quite a few cars. So we went to this place called Rattlesnake Ledge. Uh, yesterday and on our way back ton of cars passing us with mountain bikes so i know somewhere around there there there's got to be some solid trails um they were all uh very serious mountain bikes uh things <laughs> i do not have <laughs> so we'll see how the 26 or on a mixer bike rocks out out here i yeah. think i'm gonna have to change out the rear cog uh i did buy a 17 tooth for it um i do need to get a chain because it's such a big cog that uh, I have to change my uh, chain length, but uh, I, I'm I'm excited to get out and kind of adventure around this area and you know see uh, how poorly set up I am for West Coast riding. <laughs> um, I'm going to take a, a guess and say <laughs> you're very poorly set up. <laughs> I, I'm going to get about a quarter mile in and you know throwing my bike into a bush like at Sancho. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of Sancho, um, you know, there's a couple things happening around here. Uh, we have a uh, water move coming up this weekend and a lot yep, of, uh, you're going to be there, correct? Yeah. There's going to be a lot of, uh, people from spin planning to be there, which, um, is pretty exciting. And, and then, yeah, after that, like things start rocking and rolling. Then I, then I actually, um, I'm, I'm going to be heading to Asheville for, um, the, uh, Belgian waffle ride Asheville, which will be yeah. the week after yep. that. So, so that that's in what, two weeks, three weeks. That's a week from Saturday, a week from Saturday. Yeah. Man. So I have back to back, uh, back to back races, which I'm, which I'm looking forward to. So are you doing it with both or two of your brothers or just one, just one, uh, Brady will ride with me. And then our friend, Tony from Chicago, he'll be there too. Um, okay, cool. And are you guys rocking an Airbnb? Yeah. Yep. We are. We got an Airbnb. Um, we, it's kind of fun because it's a, it's, it'll be a little similar to a trip that the three of us took like over 10 years ago. Let me think about it now. 15 years ago. I don't know. It was a long time ago. And we went and uh, followed the tour of Georgia and camped and rode our bikes for about a week so it's gonna be oh, it's gonna be a similar that sounds, that sounds pretty epic like it, it was it really was but uh sheldon i i did have a really cool conversation um it was it's been a little bit ago but there's been a lot going on um but i had a cool conversation with jason and chelsea magnus from bend racing team and mm -hmm. i don't know do you know much about like adventure style racing uh outside of you know 
I think we all, you know, kind of grew up, you know, having the amazing race on cable TV. That's probably about as close to adventure racing as I have familiarity. Sure. And I mean, speaking of, I mean, they were on, they were featured on um, a show on Amazon um, about this style of racing, but it's cycling, it's climbing, it's hiking, it's water, um, it's like rafting, and it's multi-day incredibly like a huge endurance but it's it's a team sport too so you you are with several other uh, other of your teammates and you um and you count on them and you uh work with them and uh and you know it's as important to get your teammates across the line as it is to get um yourself across the line and that that's kind of what i took from this conversation that's what i'm i'm excited for everyone to hear about not only what like bend racing is and the, and that team but also and, and also like they put on races but also like what adventure racing has um that maybe we can learn from as solo athletes we can um kind of uh, use uh, or or we can learn from from this adventure racing aspect. I, I just want to, before we get into that, um, maybe, maybe I can't, never mind. Maybe I just won't even try it. Um, I, I do want to talk about, uh, when they spoke about, uh, teammates, um, I immediately think about our team and, uh, we had a huge loss and I, I, I don't think this is quite the time to really, really get into it but um i i just want to say that uh team spin and the uh the lansing crew over here had a huge loss because our friend brett miller who people may have heard on the podcast in the past um had a terrible accident and and passed away last week and it's been hard on on you sheldon on me and 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 rachel and and all our friends here and Brett, uh, Brett was one of our, you know, founding interviews on the podcast. Uh, because, uh, because he was one of our best friends. He, and, he was, yeah, I mean. And he was, he exemplified being a good teammate and he always pushed others to be better. And um, he just thought of other people and how to make them better and make them succeed. And I can't think of kind of a, a, a better person when I think about people being good teammates as, as Brett Miller. And I, mean, um, I, I can't even imagine if we tried to count how many people he's got his fingerprints on getting into cycling. Um, we've talked quite a few times on the podcast about, you know, our Monday night rides with the spin crew and for a lot of people, that's their very first, you know, um, venture into group rides or road rides. And Brett, um, so Brett is uh, siblings with uh, one of the owners of Spin Bicycle Shop. And he has always been kind of the group leader. Uh, you know, yeah. he, he was the one there you know, co- you know, asking people, you know, who's here for the first time, taking the time to, you know, sit aside with them and, you know, give a little coaching tips or, you know, if somebody was falling behind, he, he'd drop off the group and go back. You know, if somebody had a mechanical, he was the first one there with his bike off in the grass working yep. on somebody's flat. Um, and, you know, Brett, the bearded sensation, uh, 
things are never going to be the same without you, man. Yep. You, you were an amazing friend, an amazing athlete. Um, and yeah, I really, really miss you, man. Yeah. That was, couldn't have said it better, Sheldon. Well, I don't know. There's no, there's no easy way to, to transition yeah, out of this, but no but, transition there, but Sheldon, I've, I've missed not having you here during this, but again, I am super excited for your new phase in life and, uh, and your relocation. And, um, I'm, I am super excited about that. So there's a lot of positive things about this too. And, uh, I think we will keep exploring that yeah positive yep. positive uh part in your life and um and and move on so um push forward not move on we will we will push forward um but uh let's push forward to this interview um i think they have a lot of great things to to say and uh, a lot of a lot of cool things for us as cyclists to learn about adventure racing and being a better teammate just like brett was so now let's hear from jason and chelsea I've, I listened to a couple of your, your latest ones. So I okay. you know you guys are, um, you know, pretty deep into the gravel scene, Yeah, <laughs> which is cool. Un- unapologetically, I feel like. Yeah. Cool. That, that's totally fair. Um, so that's, you know, that, that's kind of cool. Um, so we definitely have, you know, not quite as, as <laughs> into that particular uh, niche, but, you know, definitely appreciate it. So, yeah, but it's, it was fun to see um, you guys have been around for a while now. Yeah, years. yeah, a couple years now, and um, exploring. I, I guess gravel. I mean, that's kind of our thing, and that's what we're really into. Yeah. Uh, but the whole cycling, I don't know, just stories about cycling, and yeah. and that in in itself kind of brings out more about stories about adventure and ultra endurance. And we've talked to some some runners, and um, so yeah. I I don't yeah like. Th- that's why I think that there are other areas that we can explore than just pigeonholing ourselves into like the cycling corner. Um, Mm -hmm. because when you're a cyclist or an ultra endurance athlete, um, there's a lot of ways to, to express that, whether it's cycling or as you guys know. So, I mean, I think that's probably a good way to start. Um, I am, definitely uh ignorant on the whole adventure racing thing and i i'm i'm curious and i'm I may, probably probably our listeners are a little curious about well what what exactly is it <laughs> yeah and I, that might be a difficult uh a difficult question but uh but t- tell us a little bit about like what you do as adventure athletes um and then and not just athletes, so you're putting on races, you're yeah. as, as being a team. Um, so just let's talk about adventure racing first. There, there's so much to unpack there, but let's talk about adventure racing, what exactly it is. Right. Um, I mean, that, you know, the, the easy answer is, is now somebody's actually produced a show about it. So you can go on Amazon Prime and like <laughs> watch the 10 part eco challenge Fiji world's toughest race thing. But you know, the sport's been around for a long time and it's basically just, um, 
you know, you can think of it like a triathlon in the sense that, that you're doing multi-disciplines. You know, you're, you're usually doing a, a lot of biking, a lot of foot travel, like running and, and trekking and mountaineering, that kind of stuff. And then a lot of water travel, which is usually, you know, flat water or whitewater paddling. Okay. Um, but those are three main disciplines. Um, but the, the races tend to be really long and have multiple stages and all map and compass navigation. So unlike any other endurance sport we've ever heard of, where somebody marks the course for you in adventure racing, you're given a map with like, you know, marked points on the map that you have to find and you're not allowed to use a GPS. And it's um, a team sport. Yeah. So um, when you get to the world circuit, um, big races, professional uh, adventure racers were always racing as teams of four and co-ed. Yeah. And okay. you have to stay together. So it's not a relay. So it's, yeah. you've got these four people that are trying to, you know, so, so I, I know the, the big, the unbound is the big gravel race that just happened, right? Sure. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So basically an adventure race might start with a stage that was like unbound, like 200 miles of, of racing on gravel roads and some single track. And then you get to the end of that and you drop your bikes, you'd pack them in these little boxes that you have to carry. And then you'd head off across the mountains on foot. And a day later, you cross the mountains on foot and you get to this whitewater river, you'd get in the boats and you'd paddle for 12 hours and then you get back on your bikes and go for another day and a half. And so some of the races are like up to 10 days long and you're just doing stage after stage after stage after stage. And, you know, the teamwork aspect is pretty cool because, you know, there's some really tough endurance athletes out there. We know a lot of them. We like, you know, are blown away by a lot of the solo feats, but adventure races are generally too long for soloists to finish because they just go insane. Right. Like, like, because it is a race and there's no sleep required. So you're pushing the limits. Like, you know, you're, you're getting sleep deprived. We'll go, uh, we just finished a, uh, race where we slept for five hours in 96 hours. So race for 96 hours, slept for five. And if you don't have a teammate or teammates to like keep you sane, it, it's, it's pretty bad. I mean, it's bad as it is, but, um, so just, you know, for us, you know, it's a way that it, it, it hooked us right away because it allowed us to use all of our passions. Like we're passionate bikers, um, especially in the mountain biking world, but we also love climbing and mountaineering and, and whitewater paddling. So we got to do all of this in one event. That's, that's incredible. Um, so I, I think I, I kind of did this in the reverse order, but the, you did an incredible job of explaining what adventure racing is. Why don't you back up and tell me about who you are? <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair. fair. Um, so, so yeah, tell me a little bit about like. Well, first, just will you introduce yourselves, and then, yeah. um, and then, and then I'm really interested about how the both of you individually got into this uh, this sport. Chelsea, right. why don't you start? Okay, um, my name is Chelsea Magnus, and I am on um, Team Band Racing. I also help manage it. And, um, I got into this through Jason. Um, it, uh, he asked me to do an adventure race on our fourth date. So <laughs> um, yeah, on our fourth date, we went out and won in a, my first adventure race and I got all scraped up and I got to use all my gear and I absolutely loved it and him. And so, <laughs> uh, Gosh, 12 years. 12 years, yeah, a long Th time. 13, 14, yeah, I haven't done, done 2008, that. so 13 years ago. 13 years, yeah. yeah. 13 years later, and um, I'm still loving it. Yeah, that's amazing. 
Um, and I'm Jason Magnus and I'm a little bit older. And the first race that I ever won was the one that was our fourth date. So I had been pretty serious into the world of adventure racing for a while. And then all of a sudden went from like being, you know, middle of the pack, somewhat competitive to like winning my race. And so, you know, I obviously thought that that was probably her. Um, <laughs> so I decided that uh, we should keep dating for a while. And, uh, you know, and it's been, it's been pretty amazing, you know, just to kind of grow both as a couple and as athletes, um, just, you know, together over the last, and now as parents over the last 13 years. Yeah, that's, that's, that is incredible. Um, so where are these, you know, as a, as a cyclist, um, in my state, I can find so many, uh, opportunities to race, um, Mm -hmm. basically my backyard, uh, locally. Um, what, what opportunities are there for? Yeah. I mean, in definitely where you are, like in the Midwest and the East coast, there are a lot of adventure races happening. Um, there's probably one race, one or two races a weekend, um, maybe three races a weekend all through the, the Midwest and East coast. Um, and, you know, just like, it's kind of like any niche sport until you get into it. Like, you know, honestly, like I could probably name three or four gravel races in the country, but I know that you could name 500, sure. you know, it's yeah. up there, there everywhere. And so, you know, with the adventure race community, once you get inside of it, there's just races all the time. Like, you know, we're on these discussion groups and, and forums and there's like race reports coming out two or three times a weekend from all the races. There's a little bit less on the West coast. Um, and then, you know, honestly, we're more involved in the last couple of years in like the expedition length races, which are, it's more of a global series. So that's one of the great things, you know, that's, I think unique also about the sport is that there's never a repeat course, which makes it terrifying as a race director because every single time we put on a race, even if it's like, has the same name, you know, like if we have a, a race called the technical endurance challenge and we put it on every year for five years, every single year, it has a brand new course. Um, but as a racer, that's pretty exciting because there's never any, any repeats. We can go, you know, there's a huge race in Patagonia, Chile called the Patagonia expedition race. And we've done it six times and never, you know, never repeated anything. So it's, you know, it's kind of cool. So you kind of know the race organization, but every event is new. And so it has that, that unique challenge. And it also feels cool because nobody has an advantage having done the race before. Sure. Right. Um, so you, you talked about, um, you have s- stages. I mean, I don't know if they're stages or days or, or, or whatever, but you have points, specific yeah. points you have to navigate toward. But mm-hmm. so it's not a, the course is just getting from point A to point B to point C. And, is, and is it up to you all to figure out the best way to get from A to B? Yes. Yeah. And often we figure out the worst way. <laughs> like that's one of the, you know, one of the cool things like um, Chelsea just got done um, racing the, the World Series event that was in Oregon. Um, and, you know, I was I was one of the race directors. So I'm watching it and watching her team get to the last checkpoint. So the 44th checkpoint on the race, they're four days into the race. They're in second place in this international competition and they get close to the checkpoint and then they lose track of where they are and they literally turn around and go the other way and they like wander around on top of these cliffs for three hours nowhere near the checkpoint they're supposed to be at 
And then they finally, you know, we had had four hours. Yeah, they had four hours of sleep, right? And so (laughs) we're watching this because the other cool thing in the bigger races, the way to make it safe is that all the teams have trackers. So we're sitting there in headquarters, you know, with with big screens and the GPS track of all the racers, so we can keep track if they do get lost, if they need a rescue, how to go get them. Um, So you know, it's it's really common that that you just watch teams that are doing really well make a poor choice and just go off the rails mm-hmm. and you're just like you just let them <laughs> which is you know can be frustrating as a racer but it's it's great when you know you know it's great drama for sure it, you said it, yeah it's it's all um map and compass navigation correct yeah mm-hmm. correct so to talk will you talk a little bit about that like the difficulty or what that kind of entails um as an athlete um, I know as, as a cyclist or even, you know, even if you're a runner, an ultra endurance runner or, or athlete, you pretty much know that the, the route is marked for you, you know, where you're going, but, yeah. uh, this seems like a whole other level of, of, um, endurance. So talk a little bit about using map and compass. Um, I mean, that's one of the joys of being a teamwork. Not everybody has to be skilled at that, right? You've okay. got four people on a team. But, you know, I think one of the things that first connected or, or like hooked us on the sport is it's, it's a huge physical challenge. But as much as that, even more, it's a mental challenge, right? Like you have to be really smart about racing. So it's not enough to be an endurance machine. And we see this all the time. We've been a big racer where you see four people who on paper should crush the competition but they don't have like a coherent way to work as a team or a really good navigator. And so, you know, it's like, you know, for, for lack of a better way to say it in the, you know, mountain running world, like if you put Killian Jornet against somebody, but he doesn't have the route, right. Right. And he's got to do it himself. Like that's, that's a bigger ask. And, you know, um, and so that's, that becomes a really interesting part of, of having to use your brain um and the more fatigued you get obviously the harder you push in these races um you get in these dark dark places like you know you you have you know so many guests on that that talk about that well of like why people do these huge races is because their brain forgets right (laughs) They, they go through it and they're pushing hard um but when you're in the middle of that you know and you're in those dark places you still have to have this this like cognitive ability to make hard decisions about where you are on a map with no markers. And sometimes the checkpoints are 30 or 40 or 50 miles apart. And there's, you know, 20 different routes to the mountains to get from point A to point B. And so you've got to be able to, to navigate that. Um, and then, you know, honestly, that's what makes it really exciting for, because a team, I think when Chelsea and I first started racing, we were regularly getting beat by teams with athletes that were twice as old as we were and not nearly as fast but they were racing a lot smarter. Hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I remember that in Minnesota and, you know, in, in the Midwest where we just like, we'd be running faster or biking faster than other teams, but we would just be going back and forth looking for a checkpoint and they just like walk right to it and, and, you know, carry <laughs> on the correct way. <laughs> so we're catching up to them and losing them, you know, over and over again. Yeah. Um, so it made us kind of, you know, start to invest in, in both speed and, you know, and being navigation. smart. Navigation. Yeah, navigation. Yeah. So team, the, the uh, makeup of a team, you said, is it four people? Yeah. Four yeah. people. So as you're choosing teammates, 
what what exactly are you looking as you're as you're picking and and you said it's is it mostly co-ed or is it always co-ed how does that work chelsea what did you so you just had a race was that co-ed i thought it was it all female it was um yeah i just had a did a race america's toughest race and it was three females and one male okay we, we called that a reverse co-ed team because in adventure racing um the the standard for a long long time was always three men and one woman so now like you're seeing more and more these days at least these last i don't know five years of more and more um two male two female teams okay um but that's even still hard to come by it's you it's still a lot dominated by three male one female teams but um, but as a male i will say that's that's not the smartest thing to do like that you know when i got into the sport it definitely was the the you know the thought that like women were the weakest link on the team like this was just the culture right this is back in the 80s sure. it was just like you, you do better you find the fastest woman you can and like hope that she can keep up and now you're seeing that that's never been true but you know now there's a lot more people realizing how strong women are in this sport this ultra endurance sport especially that you know there's there's brains and critical thinking and and like you know and teamwork and communication all those things right because the the scary thing about this sport is if one of your teammates drops out the whole team is dnf wow. right so you can't yeah. even piss each other off right like you have this, <laughs> this weird game of like having to work together i mean yeah. sure. you, know, you do piss each other off like you work through it really fast yeah um so yeah there's no holding grudges i mean if you do then it's you're in trouble you're in trouble yeah you're not you're probably not finishing that race and you're probably not friends at at the end of it um so yeah when when we're picking teammates we always first and foremost we um try to have really good communication with them um and more than looking at how physically tough they are or strong they are we look at like how mentally tough they are and how well they can communicate those are our um mm -hmm. big things that we look at when we are looking at teammates and i i'm assuming you said the uh yeah like not, not everyone has to be the best at uh, navigation um right. so there's i'm sure different uh individuals have different strengths but mm -hmm. at the end of the day everyone kind of needs to know how to get from point A to point B. Um, and you can't rely on one person to be a strong cyclist, one person to be a strong climber, one person, like you all have to do that, correct? correct? You all have to do that, yes. But like I go, when I remember when I was first racing and I, um, I wasn't super fast for the first 12 hours. Um, they had a lot more speed than me. Um, like fast twitch muscles, muscles. Mm -hmm. By day three, I was like an endurance endurance monster, and I was like super strong. But they would always take my weight for the first twenty four hours um, because I was just slower. But then by day three, I was taking a lot of their weight. Yeah. So and, it's just kind of you just, learn. Just real quick, and by taking weight, do you mean just carrying gear? Is that kind of what you're? Yeah. Okay. Because you have to carry mandatory gear. Um, every race is different, but, um, for longer races, you have to take 
like a tent, um, ultralight sleeping bag. Uh-huh. You have to take all your layers. But but even um, if it's just like a 12 hour, like if you're starting off on foot and yeah. they say it's going to be 12 hours or so, 12 hours of food and water mm-hmm. is a lot of weight. Yeah. So if somebody else, the other thing that, that we do a lot, the teams do a lot is they tow each other, mm-hmm. right? So literally we have a tow. It's a retractable dog leash that we've modified that sits under our seat on the bike. We usually have two people that have them. They're just on there. And then anytime somebody's falling behind on the bike, you can literally just reach behind your really? seat, this, this toe that pulls out to about eight feet, you know, three meters length and has a little bungee and you just hang onto it on your handlebars. You don't even hook it to anything. And it just keeps you in the pace line. Wow. Right. And you can tow people up hills. So, you know, the important thing is the team has to stay within a hundred meters of each other. So you have to stay together. You can tow on the run. We just have a little bungee that, clips off the one of our back of our running packs and mm-hmm. you put somebody on tow and you can run with them for hours. Oh my it's God. Pretty crazy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that doesn't sound like the safest thing I've ever heard of. No, no you definitely practice and there's <laughs> definitely workouts, but like when you've been doing it as long as we have, sure. like it's, a, it's better than, you know, cause if you've ever, you know, been on a, you got, you know, a group ride and, and you're trying really hard, once you drop off the back, you're, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yeah, so yeah. team trying to stay together, it's kind of the, opposite like we actually do a bunch of uh road training here in bend and there's like the wednesday night and the, the saturday group rides and some there's some elite level cyclists yeah. in bend you know and so sometimes you go out and the four of us will ride and just try to hang individually right and like you know occasionally we'll make it with these guys and then more often than not we go out as a team and we're just like if we all get dropped we all get dropped together so we work to see how long the four of us can stay with these pro road cyclists and we just work together like we would in a race, like towing each other, you know, pushing each other back into the line. And that kind of thing goes a long way, um, you know, for, for some of these bigger stages. Sure. So uh, another quick question about gear. Um, so you have to carry a certain uh, required amount of gear. So food, yeah. what, um, what, I mean, so what do you do about bikes and, uh, boats or not boats. Right. I don't know what they call boats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pack rafts or, or so yeah, there's rafts. a, there's transition areas. So basically every stage will have a set of mandatory gear that we have to start the stage with and finish the stage with. Let's say if we did a bike stage at the end of that, you have to basically take the wheels off your bike and put them in these, like basically like a bike box mm-hmm. so that the race organization can shove them all in a truck and move them, you know, hundred miles down the line or whatever to the next transition area right? Same thing for the bows. You'll have these big duffels. So you're only required to carry all the gear for that stage. Okay. Right. And then, you know, you basically, but there's no support at the transitionary. So when you get the logistics planner, like a few days before the race, you're planning all this. So you're like, Hey, in, in this bag, we want, you know, our wetsuits and whatever for the whitewater stuff. And we want extra food in the bike box. So you're, it's like an expedition, right? It's kind of like, it's kind of like you're doing a big bike packing trip. And you're like planning your uh-huh. couple food drops and, and all that kind of stuff. So when you get there, nobody's helping you. You just open your box and you're like, let's shove all this stuff in. So it is nice that, you know, at, at most, you know, the longest stages we've ever seen in a race are like 60 or 80 hours. So that's the most we're carrying all our gear at one time. But that's still quite a bit of gear. Yeah. Um, especially food for that. Um, but then, you know, we do get those resupplies. Yeah, that's, that's a... Uh... 
Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it, <laughs> sorry, I'm just all, trying to wrap my brain around it. <laughs> it's I mean, you know, at the at the edge of the sport, you know, that we're talking about, it's called expedition racing. And it definitely has that feel of like planning for an expedition. Like some of the races we've done in Patagonia are a thousand miles long. I mean, you can't like you're standing at the start line and you're looking like across the entire tip of South America, you know, 10 mountain ranges and islands. And you just can't fathom mm. how far you're about to go without stopping. And you just do it one step at a time. Right. Um, but then, you know, like for a lot of people, I don't want to scare your listeners because like to get <laughs> into this sport, there's six hour races. They're called sprints, like sprint adventure races. And those take place in a state park, you know, might have 20 miles of biking, six miles of running and, and some swimming or paddling or whatever. And they're great fun. You get muddy, you get dirty, you get off trail um, and you're done, you know, drinking beer by four in the afternoon. Right. So that's, that's like the gateway. And there's a lot of those. There's okay. a lot more of those than there are expeditions. Mm-hmm. Right. Even at the national level, like national championships is only a 36 hour race. Okay. Right. So, you know, it's only, you know, our love has become the, the world series, which is all these expedition level races. Um, but we still do the shorter ones because they're tons of fun. Yeah. Um, and they don't take as much, you know, off of your body, yeah. your age. Yeah. Uh, that's that. It reminds me of like a, a marathon versus a 5k. Um, yeah, totally. You know, like marathons take years off your life. I feel like, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you mentioned Patagonia. I mean, tell me about some of the places that this, um, style of racing or this sport has taken you both. And, uh, maybe some of the, some of the favorite places that you've, you've competed in. Yeah. Um, I mean the most wild place that we competed in is probably or different than what we're used to is Abu Dhabi and um Brazil. Okay. Like the where where did the we Pantanal, the like, Pantanal. The giant the biggest oh swamp gosh. in the world. Yeah. Where we were literally pushing our bikes through a swamp and on either side of you were crocodiles, crocodiles looking at you. This sounds and awful. by that is it, <laughs> You're just like, you're just like, whatever. Yeah. We, see, we saw so many crocodiles yeah. in that race. We're yeah. like swimming with crocodiles. Yeah. And at your feet are stingrays. I mean, it was just nuts. I mean, um, it's, it is kind of funny because you're there, you know, at some of these international races and you have to embrace the local, yeah. you know, because the local race director in Brazil is like, oh, like these crocodiles, they're just like dogs. Yeah. Like you don't bother them. They won't bother you. They might snap a little bit, but they're not going to attack you. And you're just like, I don't know if I believe yeah. you because <laughs> animal planet and like, you know, oh, that's not what we see, you know? Yeah. Um, and then you have to have um, a flashing light on oh, for, the backpack for of Jaguars, for Jaguars, like the person who's in the back <laughs> scare Jaguars is, away. is like, has to carry the strobe light. And so you're in the middle of the night. You're like, I don't want to be in the back. Right. Um, but real, anyway, real quick. I don't know if you have cats. I don't have a cat, but don't you use a light to like, excite a cat to come toward you like, no you totally no that's what you do i don't know yeah. honestly i think it was <laughs> so that the jaguars could track you but they wouldn't be surprised by you oh, i don't okay. know like, anyway that was yeah who, so we, gave, we do it here actually in oregon for mountain lions like, now no, like, no. now we do okay. um i don't yeah. know if it works but um <laughs> those are probably the two most wild places that come to my mind but my most favorite place that I love to race it in Patagonia, is Patagonia or New Zealand, New Zealand. Yeah. Um, those two. Yeah. Uh, but we've been all over South America. Um, yeah. we've been to up in Canada, up Alaska, in Canada, Alaska, Europe. 
Yeah. And um, Alaska was probably the most dangerous. Yeah. Um, that had some like severe near that glacier crossings, people falling in crevasses. Mm-hmm. I fell through a, a underground river waterfall and tumbled down that for a while. And and uh, great race, amazing race, yeah. um, one of a kind. But that was pretty much on the technical edge, I think, of what's possible in this kind of racing. Just because uh, of terrain. Is that yeah, just because of you know, and and we're we're all mountaineers, like our whole team has done a lot of mountaineering, and that was before I got into any of this. I was a expedition rock climber doing all kinds of stuff, you know, so we have all that skill. And you know, some of the the super fast, well known teams that didn't quite have that, like they're just trying to run across the glacier. And when you fall in a crevasse and you don't know what to do, you're you know, like you're stuck in the bottom of grass waiting for rescue. Um, so there were some scary moments in that one. Um, but you know, like, yeah, it's, it's just, it's a pretty wild place because you do get to see a huge scope of, of the wilderness of an area, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, like you would in, a, in an early, yeah. or even like crazy small, tiny villages that a lot yeah, of people like in, don't get to see, like these guys raced in Fiji. I mean, eco challenge and got to go through all these different villages and actually got to hire um locals yeah. to take them through we were allowed the to yeah, hire guides to because the jungle is yeah. just a mess yeah or like it's for a navigational mess sure. and so we're just in these tiny mud hut villages and like being able to hire some random village you know kid to like and and the cool thing is there that was bizarre is we've got all our fancy gear on right and we're in the jungle and we've got to go 40 kilometers through this dense jungle to the next village the, the maps don't even really show any trails and we just hire these two barefoot kids that run the whole way faster than we can oh, of course right yeah just through the mud and like oh and we're just yeah. like oh my god and they're like yeah give me your pack give me your pack and so like they're taking our packs they're just like leading yeah. us it was super cool yeah and the thing that i love about it i mean i've been to costa rica i mean i lived there when i was um uh in junior high and I rate, I've been, I've raced there twice now. And the places that I see adventure racing, I've, I'd never seen as a tourist for all my years that I've been there. And like, I went through villages that I've never even heard about and it was just amazing. So it's pretty cool to see a different side of these countries where tourists could never dream of seeing like your normal tourist. Um, so that's what I love about it. And I think, yeah, I think most cyclists can relate to that feeling of, of, uh, I don't know, just like exploring areas that, uh, maybe you would never find, but, um, this seems like that exact thing kind of expanded to a whole different level, whether it's locally or it looks like, I mean, or you're all over the world, um, exploring different areas. Um, that's one of the things that, you know, I, I actually like about, um, the comparison with like gravel riding is, you know, we do a lot of single track mountain biking, but that tends to just be riding for the sake of the single track. Whereas, you know, and, and road riding only hits the major places, right. but gravel riding is kind of like that. You end up going through these tiny towns, right? Like we, last summer we rode the Oregon Outback, which is a big gravel bikepacking route. And it's just like, you just go through some awesome places, mm-hmm. like way out there. And when you eventually come to a town, it's like, you know, a tiny town with only, you know, dirt roads only coming into it. And right. just like pretty cool to see, or these little ranches or these people that are living back there. Um, and so the, the gravel network in the USA is a pretty cool thing 
to yeah. explore. And it's very similar to what we see in adventure racing, right? Like you, you get to explore these places that, that nobody really goes to accidentally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Except that we get to, you know? Yeah. Cause adventure racing where we do, we uh, do. It's primarily gravel, right? Yeah. It's like, if you get single track and adventure race, you're like, Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> this is so cool. But it's mostly gravel. A lot of gravel. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and when you were mentioned talking about uh, Alaska, I was just thinking about the Iditarod, and that kind of reminds me a little bit yeah. of like going through these small towns or yeah. just kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, which I can't believe people do that on fat bikes too. We talked to some of the some of the people that did it on fat bike in uh, uh, last year, and I just can't believe in the winter <laughs> doing yeah. going through that. Um, so t- talk a little bit. Tell me a little bit about. Uh, we're talking about like just the, the, the basics of adventure racing and where it's taken you and all this stuff and, and what, and when you got into it, but let's talk about like, what, what's the motivation between each of these, each time you go out to race. Um, I know that different athletes, no matter who we are, we have different motivations that get Mm -hmm. us to the start line. Um, what is, what is motivating you um, to, to get to the start line and then get you through some of these crazy adventures. I mean, I'll I'll go first. Um, the thing that I like the most about this sport, especially, you know, we tend to look for the harder, you know, the harder and more wild the races we can find at this point in our career. Um, the better, because the question that I like is I like standing at the start line with my team and not just wondering like if we're going to win or how fast we're going to do it, but wondering if we're going to finish. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the Patagonia expedition race is a great example. We did it six times. We finally won it the last time we did it in 2018, which was huge for us. And it was also the first time that we ever finished the entire course, even though previous years we'd always been on the podium. So we were on the podium like four years in a row, but the course always beat the competitors, which huh? means no, racer even the even the winning team didn't complete the full course like whether there was 100 mile an hour winds that canceled a paddling section or you know it was, it was something that basically you know torrential storms that made them have to rescue people from the mountains when the rivers rose up to you know Houston. so it's like it became this this quest standing there and being like okay the race is awesome and it's important and the com- competition is what drives us forward and makes us sleep less and all that stuff but a big piece of it is like can these four people you know, can we have the right combination of skills and mindset and communication um, and endurance to actually make it through this event as the race director imagined, right? Um, and so that's that's a pretty cool thing to, to be faced with at the start of an event, right? Um, I mean, it can be daunting if you're not in the right mindset, but for us, you know, for me, especially, I was mostly, uh, you know, explorer and expedition before I got into being an endurance athlete. And so, that kind of you know makes me keep coming back and yeah. keep looking for that 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 next weird race. Um, yeah, I I agree with that as well. And I I don't know. I know that it sounds a little cheesy, maybe, but mine is is that I just feel like it makes me a better human in general. Um, just going through all this stuff. And like, I just learned so much about myself and about my teammates and about what we can do together. Um, 
it, I just learn so much about myself and the, the world when I'm out there. And I just feel like it makes me um, a better mother, a better friend, a mother, a better daughter, you know, with all my relationships, it just turns, I just get a better perspective on things or a different perspective. Um, and I come back a little more trashed, but just um, also a lot more humble, which I feel is something that we can all be more of humble and more compassionate. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, that's great. Uh, that I feel like that's unique to, um, to maybe this, this style of racing is the, the team aspect or the, the, um, working together aspect. I, I feel mm-hmm. cycling a lot of the time is an individual sport mm-hmm. and it's a very much so like a selfish sport. And, and we talk a lot about community and, and being a part of community and, and all this stuff and how we, we, we like to, what well, whatever, but, but at the end of the day, at a race, you're racing for yourself and, and hoping to get across the line um, for yourself, even if you're a part of a team. But there's something unique that you guys are talking about, about uh, the, the end goal is, is for all of you to succeed. Right. Well, and that's the only way it works, which is pretty fascinating. Nobody in our sport remembers like the name Jason Magnus or Chelsea Magnus or Daniel, whoever, like it's team bend racing, Mm -hmm. right? If we do well, or if we don't like, and, and the crazy thing is that we've noticed in the last 10 years, the most elite teams in this sport, nobody is an asshole because there's no way to make your, to get to the elite level of as an asshole. When you're in a four person team sport where everybody breaks, like the most elite athlete will break in a 10 day race. Right. And he will rely on his teammates to help him out of that hole. Right. And vice versa. And, and it's this cycle thing. And so what you have is these teams that have, you know, been in the top 10 or top 20 in the world for the last, you know, however many years. And they just are amazing people. Right. Because otherwise people don't race with them. Right. And so, like, you know, the best team in the world is this Kiwi team. And they're just super nice to everyone. Right. <laughs> There is just no ego. Like you see them in interviews afterwards and they're just like super humble. Like that was a great race. Congratulating everybody. There's no sense of like, we're the best. Right. Um, And you just see this across our sport, which is something that, you know, and you do still have athletes with egos, but those tend to be the ones that never quite make it. And they're always looking for a better teammate. Right. The, The crazy thing about this sport, if you are a type A, you know, if you have a big ego, like you have three really great excuses that have nothing to do with your ability, right? Like teammate A, teammate yep, yep. B, and teammate C. And I can be amazing, but it's always somebody else on the team that failed and kept me from achieving my goals. But you don't get very far in this sport that way. You just keep rotating through teammates, right? Um, and so what you really have to do is is double down on the team that you have on, and communicate and work on the skills and once you start, there's no, there's no excuses. There's no like blaming anybody or at all. Like the really good teams, you take what you get. You start with those four people and you do the best you can with those four people. You help each other, you suffer together, right? You communicate, you cry, you do whatever's necessary and you come out the other end stronger. And then, you know, it, it definitely forges you in this way that is pretty remarkable. 
um, by the time you've been doing this for a couple of years. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty neat. And like, I'll be there, you know, like we've had a really successful last 10 years and, and I truly believe it has, you know, it's mostly to do with all of my teammates. Right. And the cool thing is we all feel that way. So it really becomes this, you know, this, this bond of pulling each other up, you know, and, and helping each other rise. That's, that's, that's very cool. Um, I, we've had a lot of conversations on the podcast about, um, endurance events and mostly like adventure, the, the, the relationship between adventure and competition and, um, and kind of when we're talking about like what's motivating people, what, what is the motivator to, to do an event or to go on one of these adventures or whatever it's, is, is it because of adventure or is it because of competition? And for the, Mm. I mean, it's kind of tough because you guys are actually, you are competing. It is, it is a competition, but I'm, I'm curious when you're looking at these, at these incredible trips you're doing, like where, I don't know, where, where do you hold adventure versus competition? Do they work together? Is it all the same? Is it all one and the same? Um, can you have one without the other? Um, I'd say that we choose our races based on where it is, um, the race director, and how much adventure we're going to have. Um, we There are adventure races that we know of that are known to like not, well, to be more like, I don't know the word, but just more mellow and more gravy style where we really like epic races and epic places so that's where we choose to go um and then secondary is that competition because we do really i mean we love racing against really amazing teams Mm -hmm. um we feel like it we learn a lot and it uh, yeah mostly that we learn a lot and we test ourselves and see where we're at um but i would say for us first and foremost Mm -hmm. we're always looking at okay where is it? How is the race? Yeah, what are we going to do in it? What are the crazy things? Um, be really good navigation, challenging, um, mm-hmm. you know, like how much off trail work are we going to do? Stuff like that. That's what we really look at. Um, and, you know, I think the competition though for this sport becomes important because if you were to get into like the, the depth of one of these events, without the competition, I think it'd be really easy to not fulfill the whole thing. Right. And so the fact that there are cutoffs, like, you you know, you have to make it to stage three by whatever time, you know, like, because at some point the race organization can't just keep the course open for three weeks. Like most of these events would be really fun for, you know, anybody if they went out and did it over three weeks. It'd be just like big day after big day with awesome sleep at night, have a camp, big day again. <laughs> like The stages are amazing, like whitewater down this class four river and then hike up over this amazing mountain and then do this huge, you know, IMBA epic single track thing. So except that you're doing them all without, without stopping, right? And so there is that competitive factor. And for a lot of teams, it's not even competition against other teams. It's competition to see if they can finish the course. Right. Like when we put on our, our big race out here a month ago, half the teams were just really trying to see if they could finish the course. And then, you know, if they can, they know they're going to end up in the top 20. But 
um, they're not going for the win because for them, it's just about managing the resources to not get pulled out of the race, sure. get cut off. Um, and that time pressure, I think, you know, it, it, it just like any race, you know, even these long gravel races, the competitiveness like lets you go into this weird, deep pain cave, which, which tells you something about yourself. Like every endurance athlete I know, like there is some weird, like masochistic, sadist, like crossover tendency of like, you don't necessarily enjoy it when you're there, but it's interesting enough what you see, what you learn, you know, what you have to do to dig yourself out of it, that it keeps you coming back. Right. right. I mean, you know, when you get in those long rides and you choose not to stop. Um, and that's, that's, I think the remarkable thing that, that we really love and talk about it's like every time in an adventure race like every day in a race somebody on the team wants to stop right like literally like we we've all had these things like this sucks i'm not having fun anymore i want to stop and we as a team will sit there and say okay we still want to stay friends so we can stop but we're not going to stop for 24 hours right and that's our agreement that's our our rule as a team but if in 24 hours that person that wanted to stop has a great moment where they like see the moon rise at three in the morning. They have a slept and they're like, Oh my God, it's beautiful. This is great. I'm so happy. We're out here. Time starts over. Right. And so it's kind of remarkable to see what you can go through with the time pressure, with, with the competitiveness and then the desire to, to kind of, kind of keep going, even if it's not there in every moment. Um, so, you know, like, like the competitiveness, certainly the fact that it's an organized event certainly lets us do more than we possibly would mm -hmm. you know like we're just normal people we can plan a big training day and we go out and it starts raining we're like ah, ah f it let's go home and have a beer right like it happens <laughs> right it's like we're just like oh we're, we're we're only an hour from home if we turn around right now we don't have to ride through this hailstorm yes. but when you're in a race you ride through the hailstorm right and that's those are the memories that you kind of take take um with you right i, I think that is I don't know, something that I think is important for people to take away is, you know, you can have adventure anytime and adventure mm -hmm. doesn't need to be within competition, but there is something about being in competition that pushes that even further and creates maybe even mm -hmm. a, a, a big, I don't know, a more epic adventure or, or, you know, pushes you further i think it's just like this this balance between the two that is important and yeah. when the pendulum swings too far on one side or the other it's um yeah totally. it, maybe it's not as is great but if you can find the balance between the two that's yeah. uh and it sounds like that's exactly what you're finding okay i want to go back to teamwork and and yeah. teams um we talked about make what makes up the the teams that you would pick but there's something unique about the two of you is that you, you I'm assuming that you've raced together several times and yeah. uh, are probably more than that. But then also <laughs> you're married. So yeah. how what talk about that element and being teams within competition and then being uh, teammates outside of competition as well. Yeah. It's yeah. challenging at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah we, very kind. <laughs> yeah, we are, there's not very many married couples that race at the level that we do. Or that have survived. Or, yeah. <laughs> Anymore? <laughs> like there's a... <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, 
put on top of that being parents. And mm-hmm. so that adds the other um, factor to the other level. Um, but we've, we've been able to manage quite well. Um, we also uh, teach acrobatics as well around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're partners in that. And through all of these things, communication and trust is the foundation mm-hmm. of, of it. And that, and we both really feel strongly that above all, those are the most important things is the trust and communication. And so we try to just keep that as our most strong foundation ever. But, and, you know, the, the other thing that we will admit to is like, we, you know, we do fight and we do you know, have, have oh, yeah. timeouts or, or need to take time apart. But when we're racing as well, we've come up with a strategy that works really well because it's a four person team. And I tend to be team captain because I've been doing this for a long time and kind of, which is looking at the overall thing. And he's really good. at um, it. And so we have, we have another one of our teammates have been with us a long time, Daniel, who basically becomes like friends and, and almost like Chelsea's partner during the race. So I'm just the captain and, and that way I'm not really treating anybody differently on the team. So we almost put our marriage on hold during the race. Like occasionally we'll like give each other the little, I love you sign, like we're yeah. feeling good behind our back, but it, it really, it doesn't set any sort of weird boundaries in the team. So like, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm the captain and I need to like be firm with people or say like, Hey, we're not going to sleep. We need to keep going or, or, if, or if it gets lost, you know, all those things that, that Chelsea and I are not, we, we don't have that relationship in the race where things could come back and, and affect our marriage or, you know, no. cause it's easy to get pissed at each other and hold grudges more yeah. with your partner sure. than, you know, like my friend that lives down the street that if I don't want to see for three days, I can be like, Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll talk to him when I'm ready. Right. Yeah. We're really good at, you know, a week before the race, we start putting up a little wall mm-hmm. or, you know, just like this boundary and we start communicating more as teammates and we bring our teammates in if they're around, you know, of like, Oh, we're all working together to get ready for the race. And then um, for a week after the race as well, you know, we take, we take that time mm-hmm. um, to still have that boundary up between us um, because we want to let that kind of shed and have some space before we enter back into um, life as being married and mm-hmm. with kids. Sure. So sometimes we have to jump right back into being parents and that's, that's really weird. hard. <laughs> we're, learning, <laughs> we're learning that coming back from a, uh, you know, yeah. like a nine day race and then being parents on day 10. Yeah. That's really hard. We're really bad. Really <laughs> so bad. It's like, Everybody go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're being smarter about working in more buffers or taking turns with that. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, we're really good at boundaries. I would say. Yeah. You uh, you mentioned uh, putting on races and being a race director. You want to quickly talk about some of the races that you have uh, organized? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, we're the the company Bend Racing is you know the, obviously the the team gets its name there too. But we've been putting on races in in and around you know Central Oregon for the last I don't know almost ten years now. Eleven. Years. Um, yeah. and we usually put on a series of smaller races. Um, which are, you know, six, 12, 24 hours that are great entry level races, a couple, six hours at least. And then about four years ago, we got picked up. Uh, we did a demonstration race as part of the world series and it went really, really well. So we are now an official stop 
um, two years on, one year off for the the World Series, which is about twelve races around the world. Oh, so nice. Expedition Oregon, and that is we actually were you know obviously COVID canceled the twenty twenty, but we were able to run a month ago in twenty twenty one. We couldn't get any international teams in here, so it basically became like the de facto you know toughest race in America with all the all the U.S. teams. We only had two international teams that were allowed to come. Um, so that was pretty interesting. So we had, it was great. We had a huge field of, of the top American teams and, and they battled it out and only five teams finished the full course, um, which was exciting, which is about what we expected. Um, but you know, it's, it's like we get to do directing it basically is I love it because it allows me to create the race, you know, that I want to do. Right. Cause I have to, I get to do it two or three times, just not quite as quick as the racers. Sure. Right? I can take days in between, but um, you know, so we can choose, you know, amazing. Like the, the first bike leg was um, you know, had 15,000 feet of elevation gain, Oh my God! In, you know, in it was amazing. Yeah. A hundred so and something kilometers. So it was just huge. It was like up and over three mountain ranges with this crazy remote single track and tons of, you know, tons of amazing gravel and, and like up to the top of a mountain, hiking your bike across snow. And, and I think the last leg of the race, you did this big bike leg and then you ended up at the top of a cliff and had to strap your bike onto your back and rappel 200 feet off a cliff. Um, and then like mountaineer across, you know, there's <laughs> trail and then down to ride to the finish line. Right. And so you can, you know, you can put all these adventure elements in, um, and also a lot of endurance elements. So that's, you know, I really like to mix it up as a race director. Um, and it's great because, you know, being a race director that also races, I get to see a lot of what I like as a racer. And then I get to be very open about stealing it. You know, like when I go to race, oh, that element was so cool, right? I want that in my race. Sure. Um, or if there's something I really don't like, I'm like, dude, I'm never putting something like that in my race. Um, yeah, he's one of I think the world's best race directors. Whenever I can, well, I push the limits a little. Bow bit. out of um, the course design because I'm back end. I do I work a lot with the sponsors and um, volunteers and get that all set up. Um, so whenever I can just do that and not do anything on the course, I love it because then I get actually get to race it, which is amazing. Yeah. yeah. So I just hope that she likes likes it when she does it. Yeah. I can't say it because sometimes she gets out there and she's like, why did you make us carry our bike up that huge hill? <laughs> That's the only way to get to the trail on the other side. Whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not going to say like, I'm jealous of every other race director I know that does a repeating event that can go through the permit process with the forest service or BLM or state park and say, we want to do this event every year. And they can get like a five-year permit because we don't get to do that. So I'm a, I'm a little bit jealous that basically it's like starting over every race, mm -hmm. new course, new permit, you know, and the land managers want to see everything. So, uh, but you know, when you have the races come and, you know, it's a niche sport, but when you have teams come and, and appreciate it, that's, you know, kind of the best thing you can get as a race director. We're still not making a living doing it, but um, you know, <laughs> it's processed. So what, yeah. What is the next event, whether um, you're competing in it or, or, or directing it yeah um uh so our next we've got a handful we've got a what we call the technical endurance challenge which is more like single track technical mountain biking some some rock climbing and scrambling and, and white water 
Um, that's we've got one of those in July and one of those in August. And then we have our next uh, like kind of beginner race, which is a really popular one up here called the Lapine Loop that happens in October. Um, that has, you know, swimming in a waterfall and, and a little bit flatter, a lot less elevation gain. Yeah. Um, and then we have a couple more of the, the six hour races in December. And then the next thing is the next World Series races. We'll do Expedition Oregon again in May. And that's going to be a pretty great, huge course. So that's, you know, we've got six races now between now and next year. And then um, Chelsea's racing the 24 hour uh, single, no, no, yeah, 24 hour mountain bike national championships. Some championships, yeah. I don't know. In Bend. <laughs> in, Bend. <laughs> in three weeks. Yeah. I just got done with um, my teammate Daniel. I just got done with non-biking thing but we just did a 360 mile paddling race in puget sound oh wow and they crushed it which was crazy but it, it was funny because there were a lot of there's a lot of sailcrafts, but there was also a human power division which we entered so we were paddling a kayak and the, our biggest competition in that division was these people that had built a barge like a, a racing barge that was powered by two people pedaling so they had bikes set up on this barge and they had three people. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, crazy, right? So they were pedaling, they were cyclists and they were pedaling this thing, two of them at a time. Um, and one of them was sleeping. So basically they never had to stop and they could put out a constant wattage and about 8K an hour on the water. And they were like this Terminator. We could go faster than them, but then we couldn't sleep because they were just never stopping. Yeah. Boogie bar. So it was pretty fun to like, we got to meet them at one point when they caught up to us and we were like, holy shit, they, you know, we were really jealous because we are probably better cyclists than we are paddlers. Um, and we were just like, can we switch? <laughs> you paddle our boat. We've been paddling for like two days. So the only thing, so it just had to be human powered. That human was power. the old manpower or whatever. Like it wasn't the. Yeah. No sales. Yeah. No sales. No, no sales. Human powered. Human powered. So, but but then you could be as creative as you needed to be or wanted well, to we, be. We obviously did not think that far outside the box. <laughs> we just took a kayak and sat in it for 96 hours without, you know, stopping. And and these guys were just like, you know, they caught up to us at some point in the middle of the night after we'd slept for an hour on a, on a beach. And they were super nice, but, you know, obviously they're working hard too. They're paddling four hours on, two hours off. Um, so they're sore and they're trying to maintain like their 150 watts and, we were just like, Hey, let's just agree to tie and we'll take, we'll take turns on your boat and you can paddle our boat. Uh, it was pretty funny. Wow. Um, but it was cool to see like just this weird cross section of like the ultimate water gravel grinder where they're just pedaling for 360 miles on the water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's um, like a whole other gravel grinder or like a wave. Yeah. Wave. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know there's some smooth roads and there's some rougher roads yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, but after that, then we have national championships in September. Yeah. As a, as a team, we'll take two teams to that, and then world um, championships. Yeah, world championships is in Spain in October. Oh, and expedition Canada. Fun. We have a busy fall. We have yeah two teams at nationals, a team at, at expedition Canada that I'll lead, and then world championships that Chelsea will be at. Yeah. We have to. It's actually nice because it's easier for us to not race together right now because of kids. So we usually get one, you know, maybe one race a year together. Okay. Um, just because, you know, getting, getting childcare, um, for that much time. And also we're a wreck when we come back. So yeah. it's, we've been staggering it, which is nice. Yeah. 
So one of us gets to be a wreck at a time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one of us gets to be a parent. <laughs> you mentioned earlier, but, um, uh, so is there a place where if people are interested in starting this style of racing, um, where can you point them to go if they're, um, just for some more information? They can um, go to our website. Yeah. yeah one is our website, <laughs> uh, bendracing.com. Yeah. We actually coach people. We have a couple of different, uh, programs that people can look at. Perfect. We do coaching online or in person as well. Okay. Um, and the, then depending on where you are in, uh, the States, right. The, the best website is USARA. Yeah. So United States adventure racing association, USARA.com. Okay. Um, they will have a list of the hundreds of races where they are, how long they are like a database of all the races in the States, mm-hmm. um, as part of the national championship series and all the, the ones that even aren't part of the series, but are associated. So yeah. they have a really good database. Um, mm-hmm. The other place just on Facebook is called Adventure Racing Discussion Group. Because, you know, if you just type in Adventure Race Discussion Group, I think it's just Adventure Race Discussion Group. Um, it'll come up and, you know, it's it's um, seven or 8,000 really active members um, that are basically there just to help people, mm-hmm. right? Sure. That, you know, like, so when new people get on, they're just like pointing in places or answering all the gear questions and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you could get on there and say, I live here and I'm looking for I a race. I want to do a race. And, and there'll somebody. be 20 comments in five minutes yeah. for things that you can yeah. go and do. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's cool in that sense of like all these, you know, you know, these smaller kind of niche growing sports that I think the community, like you, you mentioned before, like the cycling community, especially the gravel community and the fat bike community we've seen is like pretty tight knit. Mm-hmm. right and really are are interested in helping anybody that wants to get into it right and helping grow grow the sport right genre. it's pretty fun well very cool well thank you guys um yeah, i appreciate you your time and and thanks for being willing to kind of take me and all of us through like the very <laughs> you know the uh I, I don't, yeah, just tell us exactly what adventure racing is and, and being willing to kind of take us through that. Um, I'm sure you have so many more stories and we could talk for so long, but <laughs> I think this was a great way to introduce it to, at least to me and, uh, and then to, to get to know the both of you a little bit more. So thank you so much. Yeah. yeah th- thank thanks. You. It was a pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to meet you. Yeah. It's great. And, uh, good luck on your, on your future races. Yeah. All right. Thank you. The Dirty Chain Podcast is a Michigan Midpack Media production in partnership with KOM Cycling, the source for your bike accessories and necessities. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Dirty Chain Podcast, email dirtychainpodcast at gmail.com, or call our hotline 616 522 2641. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. A huge thank you to Jason and Chelsea Magnus from Bend Racing for joining us on this episode. And thank you all for listening to the Dirty Chain Podcast. And as always, keep your chain clean, but get your chain dirty. We will see you in the mid-pack. <laughs>